1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of us and they do a great job. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples. Net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guests. William Yateman, he's a senior uh, legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll be talking about things that are happening on Capitol Hill during the lame duck session. We'll visit with Jack Timon. He's a local author. He's been on the show several years ago. He's written a new book called Adam in Tow Look forward to speak to him about uh, his book, new book coming out. Michelle Corson is the head of a not-for-profit right now, and it's getting some attention. It's called On the Road Lending, and will visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries. It is December the 16th, and on this day in 1773 in Boston Harbor, a group of Massachusetts colonists disguised as Mohawk Indians boarded three British tea ships and dumped 342 chests of tea into the harbor. The Midnight Raid, popularly known as the Boston Tea Party, was in protest of the British Parliament's Tea Act of 1773, a bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting it a virtual monopoly on the American tea trade. The low tax allowed the East India Company to undercut even tea smuggled into America by Dutch traders and many colonists viewed the act as another example of taxation without representation. When three uh, tea ships, the Dartmouth, the Eleanor, and the Beaver, arrived in Boston Harbor, the colonists demanded that tea be returned to England. After Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson refused, Patriot Leader Samuel Adams organized the Tea Party with about 60 members of the Sons of Liberty, his underground resistance group. The uh, British Tea dumped into the Boston Harbor that night on December 16th, was valued at about $18,000. British Parliament, outraged by the blatant destruction of British property, enacted the Coercive Acts, also known as the Intolerable Acts, in 1774. The Coercive Acts closed Boston to merchant shipping, Established formal British military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal prosecution in America. It required colonists to quarter British troops. Unbelievable. The uh, colonists subsequently called for the First Continental Congress to consider a united American resistance to the British. Boston Tea Party on this day, 1773. Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida House Speaker Paul Renner said Florida will pass constitutional carry legislation. DeSantis was asked about a press, at a press conference if his administration would be able to pass constitutional carry. The governor responded and said, I'll let Paul Renner answer that question. I'm ready. Are you going to do it? He asked. Yes, Renner said. DeSantis said that in May he did not know when lawmakers would consider constitutional carry legislation, but promised his signature on the constitutional carry legislation before no longer serving as governor. Constitutional carry, also known as permitless carry, would allow Floridians who follow gun laws to conceal a handgun without obtaining a concealed weapon permit. There are 25 other states with constitutional carry or permitless carry laws. On the books, some Florida Republican lawmakers have attempted, without success, to pass the the legislation. Now they have supermajorities in both houses of uh, the state legislature, so I don't think this will be a big problem going forward. It would be great to have uh, a permitless carry here in Florida. The Senate on Thursday passed the National Defense Authorization Act, which repeals the Biden administration's military vaccine mandate, The Senate passed uh, H.R. 7776, the NDAA, for the fiscal year 2023. 83 to 11, the bill featured strong bipartisan support for the bill. The uh, NDAA, or the the, uh, National Defense Authorization Act, repeals Biden's military vaccine mandate. While many Senate Republicans cheered the repeal of the mandate, GOP senators such as Rick Scott said he would continue to fight to give back pay to those who were wrongfully discharged. Florida is the home of uh, 21 military bases and three unified commands and proud of the important strategic role that we play here in America's national defense. As a member of the State Armed Services Committee, he said he fought hard this year to make sure that the Sunshine State, America's national security initiatives, our military veterans and their families got big wins in the N-D-A-A. Since coming to the Senate four years ago, He said, I've consistently advocated for major investments in our defense capabilities and to support Florida's military bases and our military families. The NDAA then passed the Senate today as a huge improvement over Biden's woefully inadequate defense budget proposal and a great win for Florida, America's national security, and our military community. But there's still work to do, and I'm glad the NDAA. A.A. rescinds the Pentagon's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. I'll continue to fight so that every service member who was wrongfully discharged has the opportunity to be reinstated with back pay. I certainly appreciate his commitment. Uh, Senator Scott doing a great job in Washington, D.C. The NDAA passed this week and meaning that the bill will go soon go to President Joe Biden for his signature, uh, which I'm surely, I'm sure he will sign. Major news networks have ignored one of the most explosive stories on social media censorship, corruption, and uh, possible election interference. The news outlet spent just 14 minutes. Get that, 14 minutes between them, or among them, covering Elon Musk's ongoing release of Twitter files, which laid bare the extreme partisan political alignment of woke company executives. The Twitter files release uh, show former Twitter executives were regularly meeting with U.S. intelligence officials while suppressing and, in some cases, removing content at their behest. Just unbelievable. Meanwhile, the likes of CNN, NBC, ABC, and CBS have ignored the story totally. Fourteen minutes spent on covering the story. No wonder people are misinformed of what's happening. So there's collusion not only with big tech but also with the media. Former President Donald Trump unveiled a five-point plan to tackle censorship Thursday night, vowing to protect lawful speech from being labeled as disinformation. Newsmax uh, provided the coverage on the strategy rollout. Among the key pledges listed by Trump if he wins in 2024 president the presidential election are the signing of the executive order barring government collusion with big tech and investigating the Biden administration's dealings with social media platforms. I will order the Department of Justice to investigate all parties involved in the news on the new uh, online censorship regime and to aggressively prosecute any and all crimes identified, said the former president. Trump also stated he would bar federal money from labeling speech as disinformation and fire any federal bureaucrat who participated in it, urging House Republicans to immediately send preservation letters ensuring evidence is not destroyed. Section 230, the Communications Decency Act, appears to be getting a revisit if Trump wins again in 2024, stressing that he would ask Congress to send a bill to my desk revising the doctrine to get big online platforms to get out of the censorship business. Section 230 generally provides immunity for website platforms with respect to third-party content. For now on... uh, digital platforms should be only qualify for immunity protection under 230 if they meet high standards of neutrality, transparency, fairness and non-discrimination he proclaimed and Trump continued we will require that these platforms in to increase their efforts to take down unlawful content such as child exploitation and promoting terrorism while dramatically curtailing their power to arbitrarily restrict lawful speech further the uh, former president backed Implementing a digital bill of rights that includes the right to digital due process, necessitating the government obtain a court order before removing virtual content. When users of big online platforms have their content or accounts removed, throttled, or shadow banned, or otherwise restricted, they should have the right to get informed that it was why it's happening and the right to specific explanation of what's going on and the right to a timely appeal, That, according to the president. I think that's a great idea. Certainly they need to rein in Section 230 and its abuses and the collusion between uh, government and big tech. Well, the U.S. Senate passed by 71 to 19 a -a vote-a-week-long stopgap funding bill. Now, this is different than the NDAA on Thursday to avoid a partial government shutdown ahead of the midnight Friday deadline, sending the House-passed bill to the President Joe Biden to sign into law. Next up is a sweeping measure expected to tally around $1.7 trillion that will keep federal agencies operating through fiscal year t- September 30th, 2023. This is about taking a very simple, exceedingly responsible step to ensure we finish the year without hiccups and with minimal drama. A one-week CR will give us more time so we can keep working. That according to Senator Leader Chuck Schumer. Uh, Congressional negotiators announced earlier this week a framework for the full year, omnibus package, but did not provide details on the amount they had agreed on uh, and the program to be included. However, it is expected to include uh, aid for Ukraine's fight against Russian forces and to reform the way Congress certifies U.S. presidential elections. Richard uh, Shelby, the senator, the top Republican on the chamber's appropriations committee, said the total amount of funding was being divided among 12 appropriations subcommittees. It will take four to five days for staffers to fill in details for all the items he estimated. Congress now has a December 23rd deadline to either pass this omnibus bill being written by the Senate staffers or approve yet another temporary funding bill, which would leave a contentious debate over Budget priorities hang over the new Congress convening on January 3rd. By then, Republicans will have taken control of the House of Representatives from Democrats who will retain control of the Senate. And while top Senate Republicans signed on to the omnibus funding f- uh, framework, House Republicans have rejected it, wanting negotiations delayed until after they assume the House majority so they would have more leverage to cut non-defense spending. The last time Democrats and Republicans allowed government funding to lapse A record-long 35-day partial shutdown ensued spanning from December the 22nd, 2018 to January 25th, 2019. The main stumbling block was over then President Donald Trump's demand for a large new investments in the U.S.-Mexico border wall. Well, I hope the... uh, (laughs) I hope the... uh, Uh, Republicans put on their big boy pants and uh, hold off and and defy this demand among uh, Democrats to fund through September 2023. It's certainly not the right thing to do. And finally, U.S. stocks indexes closed sharply lower yesterday, with each of the major averages suffering their biggest daily percentage drop in weeks as fears intensified that the Federal Reserve battle against inflation using aggressive interest rate hikes could lead to a recession. Well, it certainly will. The U.S. central bank hiked rates about 50 points, basis points on uh, Wednesday, as widely expected. So uh, the market dropped, well, let's see, uh, uh, on terms of the S&P 500, about 2.5%, and uh, the Dow was down about 2.22%. Uh, so, uh, and it looks like it's going to get creamed again today. So people are uh, the markets are beginning to say, you know what? We can't avoid a recession. It's going to have a big impact on markets. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit JohnsonsAirConditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is Life in Net. Coming up, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow at the uh, Pacific Found- uh, Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater. At its very best, you can get tickets now and find out more. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jack and He's a local author and a good friend. He just wrote a book. We'll be talking about that. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: It's my pleasure. William, tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation.
4: You bet. Uh, we're a legal nonprofit and we defend Americans from government overreach and abuse.
1: That's in court, huh?
4: Oh, heck yeah. We're a litigation nonprofit.
1: Fantastic. So William, lots going on in Capitol Hill. Looks like uh, there's a little contentious, uh, discussions on Capitol Hill about spending deals. Any comments and thoughts? Indeed. Uh,
4: so as we've noted on prior Fridays, uh, the government would shut down at midnight tonight unless Congress acted to pass a spending bill. Um, yesterday, they sent to Biden's desk a uh, stopgap measure. Uh, they basically punted for a week um, and moved the deadline to next Friday at, midli- uh, at midnight. And uh, at the same time, in the Senate, there was, they announced a bipartisan deal um, on non-mandatory spending. So uh, $1.65 trillion This does not include things like uh, Medicare and Social Security. Um, So the actual number is much, much bigger. Um, It's sort of bizarre that it took them so long to reach an agreement. The difference between Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats evidently was only $25 billion out of this $1.65 trillion measure. Um, So that sort of gives you an idea of, of how little space there was between the two parties, at least in the Senate. Um, With respect to spending, alas, Um, there is some division in the GOP. The House um, appear to be on board, or at least the rank-and-file don't. Uh, Speaker or or, uh, House leader, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, he ostensibly opposes what the Senate, uh, the agreement that the senators have reached, but uh, evidently uh, uh, it is being widely reported on Capitol Hill that secretly he very much supports that deal because he doesn't want to have to deal with it in the 118th Congress, despite the fact that he would have much more power, or the GOP would, because they're in the majority of the House. So it's a, sort of a, a, a comedy, if you will, a, a terrible comedy in, in that you know it's uh, uh, we don't have much leadership here when it comes to uh, responsible
1: spending. Well, of course, part of this is because McCarthy's trying to speak out of both sides of his mouth. He wants very much to uh, have the support of the conservatives in the party. Uh, In the meantime, uh, he wants to go along to get along, as you just pointed out. So uh, this actually could undermine his own leadership position.
4: Well, I very much agree. And the fact that it seems to be an open secret on Capitol Hill, I mean, it is widely reported that behind the scenes, despite all these comments to the contrary, I mean, all this week he has been impugning the Senate effort at the bipartisan deal um, that secretly he supports it, um, you know, because, again, he doesn't want to deal with it. And he, he's only uh, ostensibly opposing it in order, as you mentioned, to placate the Freedom Caucus. Um, so it is a... Uh, it, regardless of the wisdom of his strategy, it's open. it doesn't make him look like a terribly effective leader, at least in my
1: humble opinion. No, it doesn't, indeed. And Ray, pretty uh, frank about his criticism of what's going on with regard to spending, not only among the Democrats, but also the Republicans.
4: Well, it, indeed, look, it, uh, we have noted this on a number of Fridays. There's no discipline within the party. Um, the, the debt limit, well, I think we, we marked that solemn occasion you know almost uh, eight months ago when it exceeded $30 trillion. Um, who knows how much deficit spending is in this omnibus bill that they reached in the $1.65 trillion measure that doesn't include um, Social Security and Medicare. It, it hasn't been scored yet by the Congressional Budget Office. I mean, We have no idea how much deficit spending it entails. So it, it, I uh, I very much uh, empathize and and uh, am amenable to what Rand Paul has been saying on the Senate floor. Um, somebody's got to put on their big boy pants, and uh, you know. It, the numbers just keep on getting more and more eye-popping.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why the MAGA Republicans are so staunched and uh, trying to make do something that the Congress hasn't been willing to do for years, and that's to stand up and do something about spending in Washington, D.C. My hope is they'll prevail. My concern is with McCarthy's leadership, I don't think they will, unfortunately.
4: Well, he, he's got, you know, well, I'll say this, the efforts are, I think that you're alluding to. Um, so why has McCarthy been doing this double talk with respect to the omnibus measure? It's because in, to become the Speaker of the House in the next Congress, the 118th Congress, he has to win a majority in the whole House, mm-hmm. so all 435 representatives. Um, that is to say, you know, the Democrats vote, too. Given that he only has a four-vote majority, or the G, that the GOP does in the next uh, 118th Congress, he, he, can't, he can't afford to lose more than four votes and thereby become speaker. So, the long and short of it is, there are about 11 representatives um, and from the Freedom Caucus who have been uh, who, have in essence, said they are withholding their support for the McCarthy speakership vote, which is scheduled to take place on January 3rd. Unless he accedes to certain demands, um, now some of them are pretty darn common sense stuff. I mean, we're like they're demanding the right to have three days between when a bill is pushed down or you know handed down to them from the yeah. speaker to when they actually vote, so that they can read the bill. But most importantly, they're demanding that before that, Speaker McCarthy, in order for, for McCarthy to get their vote for speaker, that he agree to next time the debt ceiling comes up, which will be next year, I think early next year, that Congress actually formulate a plan to balance its budget. I mean, you know, so again, that sort of dovetails with what we were speaking about at the outset. Yeah. Um, and I think it's what you were getting at with how the these Freedom Caucus members uh, seem to be trying to hold McCarthy's feet to the fire with respect to responsible spending. Yeah,
1: well, we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. So before I let you go, any comments at all? I understand that Biden is announcing a $36 billion bailout of the Teamsters Union.
4: Indeed. So first, the half a trillion dollar unilateral bailout, you know, the student debt cancellation. And, you know, that's that's big time money. Um, And now we've got another unilateral $36 billion bailout, as you said, of the Teamsters Union. I just say more of the same. I mean, this is unbelievable. With a swipe of a pen, we've got presidents, um, you know, the current president rendering, you know, these multi, scores of billions of dollar policy, um, despite the fact that the Congress is supposed to have the power of the purse. So yeah. this is more executive power run amok, and it should alarm us all.
1: Nothing like garnering public favor uh, with other people's money. <laughs> oh, indeed, indeed. William Yateman, again, uh, Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org, uh, uh, isn't it? PacificLegal.org? Is All right. William, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much
3: for having me on, Bob.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, good friend Jack and He's written a book. We're going to find out about it. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michelle Corson. She's the uh, leader of On the Road Lending. Very interesting story. Right now, we have with us Jack Timon. For years, he was a, a guest on the, a regular guest on the show. Now, he's written a new book. It's called Adam and Dowland. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, it's great to be back with you. Thank you so much, Jack. So, tell us about this book, oh, Adam and Dowland. Uh, what's the inspiration for writing the book?
5: Well, it, it's been on and off the back back burner for three decades um i started i started it as a way of uh, maybe sharing my life story of my children and then later on my grandchildren but i, I just never could get sitting down to write the book but it 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 was my way of of maybe creating something for legacy share to share the lessons learned on what's been an incredibly blessed uh, life journey i've had so
1: yeah, I mean, uh, you're, for our listeners' benefit, uh, you are served as the president of Westinghouse International, if I'm not mistaken. This goes back years. My memory, so correct me if I'm wrong. Also, spent some time uh, in uh, Iran, actually during the overthrow of the Shah. So you do have a very interesting story to tell. And uh, are you, you're, however, it looks to me like you're not telling it directly. You've kind of created a story around getting the message out.
5: Exactly, it's. Uh... It might be, in a sense, my memoirs masquerading as a fantasy fiction, uh, and I did that quite intentionally uh, because I, I, I really hope and pray. I'm not sure. I have no expectations. This is really going to happen, but I hope and pray for a, a really broader audience. And and um, yes, my life story is not is not typical. Um, if you remember back when I, when I was president CEO of Western Union International, I I traveled and did business in 75 countries. And in the process met just countless interesting people, heads of state. Uh, and, and of course, I've, I've learned a lot from my own family members and friends like you, mentors, uh, my church community, and, and more recently by, by I, I, again, countless angels that have entered my life as I entered this, this stage. I'm right now a caregiver to my wife Lucille, so that's another aspect. And as you know, I've been in politics.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, but it's a story, isn't it? It's a, f- a work of fiction.
5: It's, it's a story loosely based. Uh, well the, the various snippets or scenes are based on scenes as I remember them. Uh, but to write a novel and make it interesting, you have to build, um, you have to build in suspense and conflict and some, some sort of entertainment, which, uh, I've done through use of fantasy, uh, and the conflict, quite frankly, I have to create conflict because I've had a, a fairly easy life, which can be boring if you tell it in the story. So I've had to create conflict, even even with my, the Adam, or my wife in the story. Um, I had to create, you know, tensions with at, at work and so forth, some of which never existed. But so, I, yeah, I, I wove a story that I could then embed in that story, uh, what I consider very important uh, life lessons
1: that's a very interesting concept because many of us want to leave a legacy and tell our stories to our kids and I've, I've certainly looked at these uh, at these uh, some of these books and uh, quite frankly you're, I think the whole notion of building your these themes into a book makes a lot of sense it makes it a lot more exciting and it broadens the audience as well
5: yeah I, I think, Bob, if you write memoirs, unless you're very, very famous and someone cares, maybe maybe your name is Abraham Lincoln or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think the record for selling books like that is about 120. That's if you have a very large family.
1: Yeah, it's so true. Did you have somebody in mind or specific person
5: or audience that you're writing to? Yeah, I, I got involved with Writer's Digest about three years ago when I finally decided to get into this in earnest. And... Uh, and among the things I learned is that you, when you sat down at that computer and you and you go inside that computer into the pages of your book, you should be writing to one person. Uh-huh. Um, I never thought of that before, but it, it helps if you if you have a person in mind that you're writing to. Now, I want first and foremost to write to my family because I, I still I still want it to be my memoirs. And I hope someday my great grandchildren will pick it up and say, hey, I wonder what he was like to, or what, why he wrote a book and so forth. But anyway, then I singled out um, my, actually my oldest uh, grandson. I have 12 grandchildren, um, Drew, who I have frequent conversations uh, about uh, life lessons and so forth and about the purpose and meaning of life. He's 24 now, but wow. that's been going on since he was six or seven. We've always had this kind of relationship. So, uh, yeah, I, I directed it to him, but through him then directed it to all family and friends and then hopefully to the larger reading community.
1: Jack, that's so interesting. So, I mean, back in the day, this is, uh, I'm going to say a decade ago, you were doing a lot of writing. You were writing a lot of columns, so you're well-recognized in the community, doing a lot of public speaking. And, of course, uh, these topics were, in most cases, political or cultural. So uh, now you've taken up uh, writing novels. This is going to be your first, or you're planning on writing more?
5: It'll be the first of a trilogy, and and this one, um, and by the way, yes, I've been writing, by the way, Bob, since I think it was sixth sixth grade. I won a contest in elementary school. I've I've got a passion for writing, but writing a novel, this is a 400-page, 105,000-word novel. It's not a small novel. The task of doing that is overwhelming compared to writing op-eds and commentaries for the papers or writing speeches for Congress even, Uh, because here, in those cases, you're telling the audience something here you have to you have to engage the audience you have to hook them you got to share with them and you have to show them the stories so that they believe that they're in the pages of that book and they become adam so th- that that is much much more difficult but i have two more books to follow this the second one is more political than this one uh, although there's some politics in the first it, it it well i don't want to get into it because there's some other time maybe but it it's a story about um rescuing uh a, a people who are entrapped in um slavery to the government and so forth. And then my third book, which I can hardly wait to write, um, but I, I want to write, I need to write, is a story of uh, a very, a very beautiful story, love story of uh, of caregiving for a Alzheimer's patient uh, with my wife is in her, is, is in seven stage Alzheimer's. And I have a group of 18 guys that meet twice a week for lunch and we share our stories with each other. And, and I want to write a book about Alzheimer's. It's a beautiful uplifting story of love rather than a depressing story of um of disease
1: well wow, jack that was a kind of a pleasant surprise to hear from you so thanks for sharing that i wonder is there uh just taking a step back I, I know that your religion is important to you i know your family's important to you i know your community's important to you very passionate in terms of the things that are that are important to you is there overall a message in your book
5: yeah um And I'd like to, yeah, I'll share. There's actually three, and they're intertwined throughout the book, and they've all been part of my life, or two of them have been part of my life for a very long time. Uh, The first I I I heard when I was in my twenties, and it was voiced by uh, Robert F. Kennedy. His brother also used it. It comes. They didn't actually originate the 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 theme or or the uh, message, but it came from Europe long before them. But it goes like this. It says some some see things the way they are and they ask why I dream dreams that never were and ask why not. And that's been a story of, of, my life. Uh, And then the second one comes from Elon Musk much, much more later, but it really hit me when uh, Elon Musk quoted these words or said these words. He said, when something is important, just do it. Even if the odds are totally stacked against you. And then the third, and this is maybe the most important overall, particularly in today's environment, is we are all different. We are all the same. And that's woven throughout my book. I have characters that uh, are tall and and skinny and fat and old and young, and some are human, and and some have green skin, some have purple, orange, yellow skin, red skin, whatever kind of skin. I'm showing characters that, like you would see in any fantasy, that look kind of really strange, but when you get down – into it they all believe and want and desire the same things and that's what i learned in my journey through the world
1: yeah so interesting i mean the irony of life is of course so we're all like uh, so unique and different every each and every one of us like specks in the universe and yet to your point we're also uh, alike in so many different ways
2: uh, yeah. again
1: the, the name of the book is adam and taoland t-a-o-l-a-n-d adam and taoland uh, how do you get the book jack
5: um Just go to adamanddaoland.com, www.adamanddaoland, and Daoland, it's it's based on the word, uh, the the Tao, which is T-A-O, which which is pronounced ancient Chinese uh, Taoism. You've all heard of that, Uh, and it's the ancient overarching religion of uh, nature and God and beauty and so forth, and it's amazing you find the same lessons in Taoism from Thousands of years ago, as you find in Christianity, Hinduism, or even Islam today. Anyway, it's www.adamindowland.com. Appreciate anybody picking it up and let me know what they think of it.
1: Jack, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It was good being with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michelle Corson. She's the leader of on the road lending. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Hardin Show on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network.
0: back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social's a new refreshing social networking platform and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us coming up going to visit with professor larry bell endowed professor at the university of houston right now we have with us michelle corson she is the ceo of on the road lending michelle thank you so much for joining us
2: yes i'm happy to be here bob
1: thank you michelle so this is such an interesting concept i've been looking forward to this conversation tell us about on the road lending
2: we got started about 10 years ago when we realized that people needed transportation and lower-income people with poor credit didn't really have very many options except going to the guy on the corner that we in Texas refer to as the tote "the note lot guy yep. uh, who's selling bad cars with bad loans, and we wanted to provide an alternative to that. And we're making car loans on very reliable, fuel-efficient Newer vehicles at a reduced interest rate.
1: So, as would uh, do people have to be uh, in financial need, or how do you how does the whole program work?
2: Well, we can help anybody, but obviously, those that have good credit and financial resources can generally have more options available to them, don't really need us. Uh, so, we started out working primarily with nonprofit referrals, a lot of women coming out of domestic violence, but. Uh, we work with people who find us um, through all kinds of channels now, that on the internet uh, or through loan aggregators, and they're generally people that have um, poor credit or no credit um, or thin credit. We've helped people that were formerly incarcerated that have come out of prison and um, they've been incarcerated so long that they their credit just dropped to zero and they very, very quickly can get their credit score back up um, as a function of making on-time car payments.
1: Man, this sounds like such an important niche here for, for helping people uh, because you're right, they get trapped in this whole notion of going down to the corner car lot and buying a piece of junk and it breaks down in 90 days and they're out the money and the transportation as well. So uh, right. so somebody wants to get a car, they they know about you, they're going to go to a now. Can they get a a new car, or what are the limitations here?
2: Generally, we are helping people to get into a car that's two to three years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, We like to see people get into a car that has already taken some of the depreciation hit uh, so that they're not dealing with that, but also new enough that it can be under um, a warranty. We think that's really critically important because, as you know, know, 45% of Americans— can't put their hands on the on $400 in the event of an emergency. So right. um, well, you don't want to see somebody buy a car that doesn't have a warranty or they end up with a $2,000 transmission repair bill and then they have to choose do I pay the pay the car payment or do I pay for the repairs because I can't do both. Uh, so if we can get somebody into a car that's two or three years old, it has a warranty, it's reliable and not going to break down generally. Um, And it's also better for the environment. And I am a centrist when it comes to this whole notion of ESG, and I think we can be riding a middle road here uh, rather than such an extreme point of view that uh, internal combustion engines and gas are bad and electric vehicles are good. There is a middle road, which is getting people into a car that is, Uh, more recently built. The cars today are much more fuel efficient, much less emitting than cars 15 years ago. All right. Internal combustion engines.
1: Yeah. So Michelle, the question of course is how do you manage risk here? Because somebody coming out of prison, for example, out of domestic violence, how do you know they're going to make the payments?
2: Yeah. It's a really good question. A fair one. Uh, So we use character based lending instead of credit scores. We, we pull credit because we want to establish a baseline but we actually take the time to talk to people before we make them alone, which I know is such a novel concept, but we've gotten into this place in our society where it's such an instant gratification. We don't have conversations anymore. Mm -hmm. We have fast pitches. Um, We're looking at things kind of in the old-fashioned way where your lender used to know you, your banker, and uh, we take time to actually have a conversation. And we understand why someone is in the situation that they're in. And we're really trying to evaluate based on those conversations, whether someone's on an Upward trajectory or downward one, yeah. and if they're really trying to improve their life and their circumstances, then we're willing to take a chance on them.
1: Sounds like well. So, what's your track record? How are you doing with regard to uh, getting getting people to make uh, make their payments? Is how's it's, it all working um, out?
2: Remarkable. So, for our credit strata, which is deep subprime borrowers, average credit score is less than five twenty five. Um, we have less than a 3% default rate. Wow. And the subprime, tri- typical subprime lender is about 35%. So it's very remarkable.
1: I understand you, you've helped about 6,000 folks to uh, to get through this kind of barrier and put it back on their So, There's a lot of benefits to this, by the way. It's just, you know, we, ha- we lost two cars in Hurricane Ian, and I woke up the next morning and I realized, you know, if I get someplace, it's because I walk. <laughs> yes. If it- if it weren't for friends and weren't we're for the support of the community, I mean, I, I got back on my feet pretty quickly, but it's, uh, you know, it's pretty devastating.
2: Uh, yes. And I'm so sorry about Hurricane Ian. That was an awful thing. Um, I'm based in Dallas, Texas. And a few years ago, uh, Houston got hit with Hurricane Harvey and they lost a million cars yeah. in that storm. And you're right. I mean, if you, you've already been impacted in a very dramatic way and if you lose your car, you're cut off from work. You're cut off from getting to uh, getting your kids back on track. You're getting help. Um, maybe you're having to live in temporary shelter. And how do you do that when you don't have transportation? We worked with about uh, 500 families down in South Texas who were impacted by that hurricane. Yeah. And we're going to be heading to Florida soon, so um, hoping that we can do the same. If in the event that there's ever another significant storm like that that you all have to go through, and well, I hope thank, you
1: don't. thank you, Michelle. So uh, how about the interest rates? What, what kind of interest rates are people
5: paying?
2: Um, we average about 9.75%. It generally, we're um, 60% lower than what the market is, wherever that is located. Um, and the reason we're able to do that is because of our success. So banks are so highly regulated, They're required to repossess a car after a certain period of time. And so they maintain very high loan loss reserves. We're able to do much lower based on our track record, and we can pass that savings on to our consumers. Uh, It gives us an opportunity to offer a much lower interest rate because our risk is so much lower.
1: So interesting, Michelle. Now, how can people find out more? How can uh, people, you know, because I'm thinking right now, I've got uh, young people in my life who might want to get a start with a new car and so forth, but can't necessarily uh, get the, uh, have the credit in order to do that. How can people find out more?
2: Yeah, that's a great way to do it for young people, by the way. And we offer financial education. To all of our borrowers, so it's really good for first time borrowers. Um, people can go to our website, on the road uh, and apply online. We do everything virtually. Our clients are transportation challenged, so we're not asking them to come, come to an office and sit across the desk from us. We can do it all remotely, we can deliver the car to them, um, and all of our coaches work all over the country and do it all by phone or uh, Zoom call or FaceTime, uh, everything can be done that way to make it easier on everyone.
1: Well, it sounds so much On the road I think, or is it .com or dot com or dot org? Dot org. Okay, on the road lending.org. Michelle, what a great concept and congratulations to you and everybody at uh, your organization. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Really appreciate it, Bob. Thank my, you. My Take pleasure. Care.
1: All right, thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of about a dozen books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read. I highly recommend it. He also writes a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. His latest is uh, Do Trump Hit Pieces Benefit the GOP? Uh, Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: And, Bob, thanks so much for having me on.
1: Always a uh, pleasure, Professor. So uh, tell us about this piece, Do uh, Do Trump Hit Pieces Benefit the GOP?
3: Yeah, uh I guess to lead into this uh I look at the Wall Street Journal pretty regularly. In fact, I have one in front of me this morning and uh I kind of look at it not so much for balanced news but but it's uh opinions both on on the left and the right and certainly they don't you know, they don't uh, necessarily uh represent conservative voices, you know, they have all the time. They have Soros and they have a lot of other people on, but right before, which is fine. But I particularly am interested in a couple of people I watch, uh, particularly just, I, uh, there's, there's Peggy Newton and she's very much doesn't like Trump. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's Kimberly Strassel, who I have to no, admire a lot, who, who is just, I think, very informative and insightful on a lot of topics. So I, but I noticed in the last recently there's a couple of columns by Peggy Newton and I think they're really counterproductive because they talk about how you've got to get rid of Trump now he's he's going to be a troublemaker in 2024 and you've got to crush him and yada 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 and 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 then she has a, she had about a, a big column piece recently on on Chris Christie and recently given to an interview with him and he's saying, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta release, really, uh, go after Trump now, and get him out of the way." And I think, what terrible advice! Because right now, the, the country really wants vision. They want uh, they want uh, positive messaging. What the Republicans going to do? And if running into the twenty twenty four is an opportunity to highlight things that Republicans really care about, But even more, I think there's some you know, some strong candidates that. That could be contenders for twenty twenty four in addition to Trump who uh and and they can talk about specific issues like what do I do with all the immigrants we have in the country that that have been let in and yeah. it's not enough to just say close the borders, what are we gonna do with that, and how do we deal with all these entitlements we have now with without putting on the back of the middle class and so on and so forth so the my my is really saying isn't this enough hit pieces on Trump? Uh, let's give him, you know, in my view is, you know, wh- whomever we vote for and, you know, and whatever. And we're seeing now that DeSantis is, is, has a strong, uh, you know, wind behind his back and so on. But let's give Trump credit for what he's done. And he's and he's taken on the, the establishment that that I think Peggy Noonan uh sort of supports the old heirs and uh, who, who really, I think, have again, been rolled at every, at every turn by the, by the left and, and, you know, let's, let's really rethink this and let's have a fresh view and, and let's uh, let the 2024 run up to that campaign be a constructive, positive message to the country. Yeah. Oh, another thing. She she talks about how Trump is not a uniter in, in the mold of, of Reagan. And, of course, a lot of us really have a high regard for Reagan. But, but Reagan didn't have this divisive racial separation and gender identity stuff and anti-patriotism, CRT and 1619 Project stuff in the school and the military and so on. So times have changed. Let's move them in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I was going you know, to mention, where's the gratitude? I mean, think about what Trump did for us. And uh, well, if you just watch a Trump rally, people are so excited and so joyful at a Trump rally. And you watch what's going on with tens of thousands of people who are so excited because what did he wanted to do? He wanted to make America great again. And he was on the road to doing that successfully. And of course, uh, that just really upsets the political elite and those people who are kind of the uniparty folks. So you, to me, I just think this is just another example of him being over the target. He can't be bought or sold by anybody. He's doing the He did a great job, and I think he'd do a great job again. I personally support your point of view, though. If anybody's born in the United States of America, natural-born citizen, not someplace like Ghana, and is 35 years of age, uh, go for it. Run for the <laughs> run for president. The the result of that will be we'll have uh, stronger candidates and we'll end up with the best selection uh, to run for president in 2024.
3: Absolutely. And I, you know, in the, the bleeding hypocrisy, we see the, of course, we've been, you and I and a lot of other people in politics for a long time, but, you know, the Biden family corruption, you know, the 100 laptop that, that not only the FBI and CIA covered up because they had it in their possession. They knew exactly what was in it. But not only that, but we, you know, we're hearing now more and more about the complicity of the of the social media, and of course, uh, Elon Musk is releasing stuff. So we look at on one hand, of, you know, can't can't kind of get away from Hillary's emails that that they worked so hard to to cover up, and then they have the raid on Mar-a-Lago with trying to find some. Atomic weapons uh, secrets in Melania's, uh, yeah. and Melania's wardroom closet, and you know the the hypocrisy, and we and I think we see how you know they use Trump hatred as a diversion away from their own failed policies, and you know give the guy a break; he's not president.
1: Yeah, I like, couldn't agree more. Again, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, I just strongly encourage you to take a look at Architectures Beyond Boxes and and Boundaries, his latest book, uh, My Life by Design, a terrific read. Also, go to Newsmax.com and check out On Point, uh, Professor Bell's uh, column. It's really uh, terrific. It comes out a couple times a week. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: And Bob, I always enjoy it so much. Thank
1: you. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap wrap, uh, wrap here on today's show. I want to remind you uh, that uh, now Lulabee's Diner, in the Green Tree Shopping Center, serves great breakfast and lunch. Now that's Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., they're serving a great dinner opportunity, and uh, you know, offering everything from meatloaf and chop steak along with seafood items like salmon, snapper, grouper. They do a great job. And I know Jerry Holacek, the owner, is really looking forward to serving you. So again, uh, the Green Tree Shopping Center in uh, Naples, you can go to Lullaby's Diner for terrific breakfast and lunch and now dinner Wednesday through Saturday. That's a wrap on today's show. We have great guests for Monday, including uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, endowed professor, I should say, excuse me, uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Chief, uh, Washington Bureau Chief and uh, author of several novels, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at BobHarden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, get the word out. Tell your friends. We appreciate that as well. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.